This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight we talk about the safety, potency, and efficacy of the upcoming COVID vaccines. Will you get it? Life seems chaotic now, so how do you rise above it? Author Carolyn Gross shares how. Relationship red flags, what are they? Tune in. The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. As COVID cases soar across the country, we realize all of the pressures that COVID has brought to us from burnout to financial issues, exhaustion, unemployment, illness, isolation, relationship struggles as well, to name a few. This is when we really have to count our blessings and appreciate what we do have, friends, family, and a new kind of fun. These are tough times for everyone. And on this show, we try to give you a little hope through connection and caring and strategies to deal with our new upside-down world. So welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show, a show about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making your relationships the best they can be, yes, even in a pandemic. I am Maureen McGrath, registered nurse, nurse continence advisor, sexual health educator, and host of this program. Tonight, we've got Maureen McGrath behind the mic and Mike McLeod on the boards. Good evening. How are you? I'm very well. How are you tonight? Uh, good, good. Thank you. Holding up okay in yes. uh, this new world? Yes, yes. And uh, just trying to remember everything Brendan taught me. So <laughs> we miss him very much. Maybe he's at home listening with his mask on or something. We do. Hopefully he has his mask on. He was always one. He was a mask wearer. Yep. Not that everyone is in this country. I got mine ready. I'm ready every day. We I have the, the anti-everythings. <laughs> yes. All right. Anyway, thanks so much. Uh, much, Mike, for being here with me this evening Thank and you. very happy to have you. Tonight on the program, we're talking about coronavirus vaccines. There's a little hope for you and rising above the chaos. How can you do that? Also going to be talking about the flu, shingles and pneumonia vaccines since I get lots of calls and emails about those. Also, relationship red flags and multiples. Oh, whatever are you talking about, Maureen? Well, we talk sex. Of course we talk sex. So put those kidlets to bed now. Grab your mask and a glass of wine. Do you ever notice how people that you've never ever met before and then you see them in a mask they look so different with their mask on if they might take their mask off and then you think oh that's what you look like and and with a glass of wine in your hand too people can look a lot different as well anyway if you'd like to be a part of the show please give me a call the number to call is 1-877-399-9898 that's 1-877-399-9898 you can text me there as well or email me in confidence at nursetalk at hotmail.com although Although we cover a variety of health subjects, this show is not a replacement for a virtual visit to your doctor. We've got lots to talk about on the program tonight, but right now... And now, Maureen's Health Headline. As British Columbia prepares to lock down for another two weeks, Manitoba has the highest per capita rate in the country of coronaviruses, uh, coronavirus cases, and Calgary holds freedom from lockdown marches on their snowy streets. We have some hope. <laughs> Fortunately, we have Dr. Jason Kinderchuk on the line. He is Assistant Professor, Canada Research Chair, Department of Medical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases at the Max Rady College of Medicine and the Rax Rady Faculty of Health Scientists, Sciences at the University of Manitoba. And his research interest lies in these emerging and re-emerging viruses. Good evening, Dr. Kinderchuk, once again. How are you? 
I'm doing good, Maureen. Fortunately or unfortunately, you have me on for the next bit. So. Fortunately, I'm so I'm delighted <laughs> we'll, to have we'll you. I want to talk vaccines with you. Um, Absolutely. There is there are anti-maskers. There are anti-coronavirus people. There are going to be uh, anti-vaxxers um, as well. We're going to have another group of anti-vaxxers coming up soon. Um, interestingly enough, um, vaccines are a critical. Um, you know, alongside clean water, it's been said that vaccines are the public health advancement that underwrites our increasingly dense, interconnected world. And yet the vaccine timelines are still measured in years. It takes an average of 10.71 years from conception to completion. We've had an outbreak here and we've had some very um, rapid, quick, progressive, tested on 40,000, over 40,000 people vaccines uh, to help the fight against coronavirus and a lot of people uh, will be against it or they won't be they won't take it they will have lack of trust in the safety potency and efficacy what are your thoughts on on the vaccine and how safe are these two that have come out this week and um, can we trust them you know i i'm going to come off right away or come out right away and say i'm obviously biased i work in infectious disease um, you know, I've worked uh, with smallpox. I've worked with Ebola. So, you know, two, you know, two very horrible diseases that that have vaccines that, that you know, have helped us eradicate one of the viruses and, and are helping us really control uh, another virus. Um, listen, I, I think when we look back at this, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you say 10.7 years on average was where we were before for new drug development to go from bench to bedside, and here we are 11 months later after this virus emerged. And we have two vaccines that are 95% uh, efficacious and look like they're going to be in our hands um, very, very soon. And, you know, by soon, I mean weeks. Um, This is unprecedented in human history. And and I think this is one of those moments where we really have to appreciate what we've kind of been granted with this. It it is such a monumental achievement. Um, And when we think about this idea of the timelines, what we have to appreciate is that the timeline is certainly faster than what we've seen in the past, but the amount of testing and safety uh, studying that, that is being done is still the same. We are still looking at tens of thousands of individuals that, that have been enrolled in phase three trials. We're still looking at data um, that is being viewed by independent monitoring, uh, monitoring boards as well as FDA and, and obviously other um, uh, health agencies around the world. Uh, and they're all the same benchmarks have to be reached for these vaccines to ultimately get out into the hands of, of the general public. So I, I look at this, and, and to me, I actually feel because of all the scrutiny that has been placed on vaccines recently and how badly we've needed vaccines for this, um, I actually feel we're probably in one of the safest points we've ever been uh, for actually seeing something that, uh, that, that is going to actually be very reliable getting out to the public. Absolutely. Now, um, it starts with um, preclinical trials or, or phase one trials where they utilize mice or monkeys, and they, they often say mice lie and monkeys exaggerate. Um, <laughs> so when, they're, when they are doing studies, um, starting with animal studies in the lab, as that's where it all begins, um, what is the, take us through the process of uh, clinical uh, trials and, and the development of, of drugs. What are those phase one, phase two, phase three, post-marketing? Well, and what we need to think about is even, even the preclinical phase uh, trials, right? Because the, the preclinical phase is not just the development of, of the actual vaccines, but it is actually the, the first 
um, signs of uh, of animal work that's being done, and, and it really is, you know, with with FDA um, back in my uh, you know much my my bullet time, um, is this idea of trying to identify animal models that mimic human disease, um, so that we actually get um, some sort of a, a valid output for what looks like what we would see in humans, and, and for something that we actually could feel like it, it would actually be beneficial to move into humans. So those trials will often involve uh, multiple animal models. So um, they're not just mice. We'll often go through, uh, you know, in this case with COVID, um, mice are being used, but so are hamsters and ferrets, as well as different species of monkeys. Um, and all of this is to try and identify something that actually looks like it, uh, you know, it provides some benefit. When we get into phase one trials, now we get into this idea of safety testing for humans. So what, you know, what are the, you know, the toxicity ranges for humans? Are we seeing any sort of adverse events at high and low dosages? And those are in a very small subset of patients. Um, but it's not, it's not to actually look at efficacy against disease. It is simply to look for, for safety and adverse reactions. Once we start rolling into phase twos, phase two trials, now we're increasing the number of people. Now we might be at a few dozen people, maybe a, a, you know a, up to a few hundred, um, where you're actually looking at uh, again expanding those those safety trials. Once you get into phase three, now you're basically bolstering everything uh, to the hilt. So now you actually move into about thirty thousand. Um, uh, individuals that that you are going to be providing either the vaccine or a placebo, and these people are going to be out in the public. So their their likelihood is that they're going to be naturally infected. Um, and what this starts to give us a guide for is not only any sort of safety concerns, but also what's what is the efficacy in the natural world when people are exposed to this virus. Um, and then by the time we get through phase three, then you can apply for, for licensure and approval. And then your phase four trials afterwards will actually look at the long-term adverse reactions. Um, once a phase three trial is done and a vaccine is licensed, it doesn't mean that everything just stops and, and adverse re, uh, reactions are no longer looked for. Those long-term events are, are still being um, uh, you know, tabulated and, and monitored. Um, so it is something that, that takes a long period of time normally. But here we're in, uh, you know, a period where we see high transmission in the community. It's allowed these phase three trials to actually take place in, in real time. And then rather than the data just by kind of being accrued and then supplied at the end of the trial, which you know often will take a, a few years, here what they're doing is they're actually providing that data um, back to uh, the monitoring boards in real time. So you're actually getting an assessment um, of what the vaccine looks like from, you know, even a week to week or a month to month basis. Dr. Jason Kinderchuk is my guest and he uh, has a research interest in emerging and re-emerging viruses. We're talking about vaccines. If you have a question for us, the number to call is one 877 That's one 877 Dr. Kinderchuk, we have a couple of callers on the line. Yeah. Irene from Edmonton. Good evening, Irene. Yes. Hi, Maureen. I'd like to ask Dr. Kinderchuk this question. I was really surprised to read in the journal a few days ago that um, the vaccine um, that these uh, companies are working on, it, it will not prevent, if you get the vaccine, it will not prevent you from um, becoming infected with uh, COVID. But what it does is it it um, it prevents you from having the serious symptoms that COVID would produce. And if that's the case, 
then does that mean you still are capable of giving COVID to other people after getting the vaccination? And if you're asymptomatic, it could even spread more. So this this is such a great question. And actually, I was just reading um, an article by uh, Dr. David Sisman and Dr. Ian McKay, um, an interview that they had done about this exact topic. It is one of the things we don't know yet about the about the vaccine. And really, we're going to find out from the phase three trials is whether or not um, this is a vaccine that is purely just going to uh, reduce uh, clinical symptoms. Um, or if it's actually going to be able to prevent infection. And, and your concerns are exactly what we have for concerns in that, yes, you may be able to reduce um, severe disease down to mild disease, but can a person still actually transmit the virus? And that's what we're hoping to find out from these uh, this current randomized control trial or the trials that are going on for, for these phase threes for these, these two vaccines um, is whether or not that is the case. And we should get some indication um, from these patient samples. Uh, so we'll, we'll be able to actually look to see whether or not they still carry infectious virus, um, in particular because some of these people have been exposed in the community, um, and how, how frequent, frequently we see that people are able to get infected even though they are uh, vaccinated. Um, so it is always one of the, the difficulties with creating a new vaccine. Um, you know, infections are complex and trying to develop the perfect vaccine that takes care completely of, of reducing infection. Um, it takes time for us to develop it. Not saying that we won't get there, um, but it certainly may not come right up front with the, the first vaccines that are licensed. I also have Darcy on the line from Winnipeg. Good evening, Darcy. Good evening, Maureen. Thanks for taking my call. And uh, I have a qu- my question for Dr. Kinderchuk is, well, first off, I'd just like to say I've been listening to your commentary quite a bit the last few weeks, and I found it to be very interesting and informative, so thank you. Um, so uh, my question is, in regards to, um, like, they're really not sure at this point, I think, whether this will be like a seasonal, similar to the f- uh, flu vaccine, or if it's going to be like more of a one-shot uh deal where you get it once and, and that's it. So is there any type of uh, uh, estimation, would you say, as to when what when they would know what, what which type of route this is going to take? Thank you. Yeah, this is such a great question, Darcy. So one, one of the things that we don't have yet is kind of a, a gold standard assay in the lab uh, or an experiment that tells us, you know, based on what somebody's antibody profile or their immune system um, you know, uh, analysis looks like, whether or not that means they'll have long-term immunity or lifelong immunity or short-term immunity. Um, some of the data that we're starting to see is suggestive that at least immunity seems to be longer term. So through natural infection, um, it looks like some of the data is telling us that people may actually have longer term immunity than we thought. For coronaviruses, it's predominantly been months to uh, a few years. This one may actually give us a little bit longer. The problem is we're, again, we're 11 months into this. So our best correlates of real data are 11 months, maybe a little bit less than that from the original Chinese cohorts that we saw early in January. So I think we're still struggling to understand that. With the vaccine, we're hoping that we're actually able to skew that a little bit longer. But again, we're going to get some of that data, um, you know, really being uh, kind of accrued over over these phase three trials. And it's going to be based on what our prior analyses have been with other vaccines. So stay tuned is, is probably my best answer to that. Excellent. We have Cam from Brampton, Ontario on the line. Good evening, Cam. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Just wanted to ask the doctor uh, uh, about interferon alpha 2b and 3, uh, which uh, I've done some reading on, and it, 
it seems to be uh, the perfect uh, medication for this. I know there's some tests going on at the University of Toronto. Is there any more news about it? Lots of smart Canadians. We have about a minute left, Dr. Kinderchuk. Yeah, what, what I'll say is that there's uh, actually a, a colleague of mine, Dr. Deanna Santer, who's now at uh, the University of Manitoba that's doing some work on interferons. Uh, certainly interferons are one of the things that's being investigated. Um, I still haven't seen any clinical data, but but it certainly is one of these things that we're looking at as being a, a potential good antiviral treatment. So keep your fingers crossed. Um, we're hoping that, that this will be the direction we can go in. Excellent questions. Excellent uh, information. Once again, Dr. Kinderchuk, love having you on the show. I learn so much every single week. I really appreciate it because <laughs> I'm out there COVID friendly. Let me tell you, I'm working <laughs> and it's not easy <laughs> out there. <laughs> it's, 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 it's always a pleasure, Maureen. Thank you so much. Remember the world we used to live in before the pandemic struck? We had this nonstop chaos, uncertainty, and an overscheduled life. Chronic busyness was the flavor of the day. The busier we were, the better we were. Well, she wrote this book, Rise Above the Chaos, How to Keep Positive in an Unsettled World Before the Pandemic. But we need this book even more now. Joining me on the line is author... Carolyn Gross. Good evening, Carolyn. Good evening, Maureen. My pleasure to be with you. Oh, well, thanks so much for joining me this evening. It's much needed <laughs> for all of us, yeah. me included. Where do, we, where do we even start, right? Exactly. <laughs> where do we begin? You've heard the expression, do I stay or do I go? I love yours. Yeah. Do you shine or do you whine? <laughs> Oh, anyway, there it is. There are the shiners and there are the whiners. You are absolutely correct about that. People who you know see the the glass half full, and those who see the glass half empty, and and never the twain shall meet. Um, but and, in this world, you you wrote this book uh, when we were living in that uh, world long ago, where we could go wherever we wanted to, <laughs> travel whenever we wanted to. We knew what people looked like. Um, we weren't being told to go home, go back to our rooms, wear a mask, don't kiss anyone right. anymore. Um, yep. You know, life has or changed hug. or hug. Um, yep. It's it's so strange to actually see somebody hug uh, somebody else or, or make an attempt uh, to hug you. Um, yep. But anyway, so tell me why you wrote this book in the first place and how it applies today. Well, um, managing chaos, Staying calm in the midst of chaos and rise above the chaos have been my life's work for the last two decades. So um, when I when I started, I was trying to help people stay calm in the midst of chaos because this was right around the era of of 9-11 in the States. But the reason I wrote Rise Above the Chaos was that the technology connectivity of all of our lives had created like this backdrop of chaos that was there, you know, at the touch of our fingertips, right? If I can't sleep, I pick up my phone, I look at social media, right? Or if I wake up, I'm not awake until I see if anybody texted me last night. Right. That fine line between work and leisure no longer exists, as you say in your book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, And even when people go on vacation or holiday, again, this is back when we could go on vacation and holiday, right? Now we can't even go on vacation or holiday. We're still exhausted. (laughs) So a lot of these, uh, so we're, instead of being on vacation 
you know, and wondering, are we going to work when we're on our vacation, which is called weisure, by the way. You know, when you work during your leisure mm. time, it's weisure. Okay. Yeah, weisure. <laughs> so we, we lost leisure and we got weisure. But now, but now we're on lockdown. And that's another point, though, of why did I write Rise Above the Chaos? Because things were escalating, you know, before lockdown and, of course, now since. There was just this pace that was escalating so much. And... You you talk about health. I talk about health, right? And you can't always be in that fight or flight, you know, waiting for a shoe to drop mode. And um, and yet, look where we are. Absolutely. In in many ways, there there have been some benefits um, to the pandemic, and I say that very cautiously right. because I know a lot yeah. of people have suffered. They've lost their jobs. Yeah. I heard a gentleman who said, we used to have two modest incomes, and now we have none. We have no income at all. Mm-hmm. We both lost our jobs, and we have two kids. Um, many right. people are suffering with illness, unnecessarily with illness. People with comorbidities as well have, are struggling um, with the coronavirus or extreme fears around getting the coronavirus but but in a lot of ways um the the world calmed down really that that frantic pace that get up and go 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 never stop always busy always on your phones it would be a dinner table of everybody on their phones you'd have to make a rule everybody put their phones down now i mean i have to say and my family it's not an issue anymore nobody picks up their phones at dinner anymore it's it's just a different piece it's a different calm um, but we certainly do have, and, and many families have that chaos still because of this pandemic, because they don't know where their next rent check is coming from, or they don't know where, how they're going to put food on their table. They're working from home, they're homeschooling their kids. So what, first of all, is it about a person's attitude to this that will help them survive the chaos? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So you know, one thing that happened in my writing and in my research was I identified that chaos has to be looked at from two lenses. One is internal chaos, chaos that I have within me for whatever reasons, but chaos I have within me, and then external, the environmental. And what's happened is (laughs) we've all been hit with so much external chaos (laughs) Mm-hmm. That whatever internal chaos hasn't been remedied or rectified, or at least we don't have effective coping skills, that's been the stuff that's been shaking, you know. And so now more than ever, we have to have solutions and strategies to rise above it, to rise above it. Absolutely. And, you know, there's so many heartbreaking things. We, we had a Zoom. I, I come from a very large family, and so one of my nephews turned 13. And so we had okay. a, a big Zoom birthday party for him. Yes. <laughs> wasn't exactly yeah. the same. He showed us his lizard and his bird. <laughs> and then we started talking politics. <laughs> and then we had to revert back to him because it was actually about yeah. him. <laughs> but he likes politics. Back on track. Yep. And, and we all sang happy birthday and... And um, but anyway, we have to find these different ways um, to, you know, to pay attention and to do those rituals that we used to do. Well, and I've also always I've been calling chaos the great teacher for a number of years. It started with an early incident uh, in my family when on a Christmas holiday, my father had a spinal cord injury, 
while swimming in the ocean at Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. So obviously that was so unexpected and a very critical situation, a defining moment situation. But what I realized in crisis and defining moment situations is we can actually um, access and rally a a super strength within us um, that helps us be decisive and make good decisions and also maybe realize in those moments that are so strenuous some areas where we need to change our path or, you know, go after a dream we always had because we don't know how much time we'll have, right? Absolutely. And so to me, to me, COVID has done that because it, it's it's been a defining moment for the collective, you know, a defining moment for the collective. Like we're all under that magnifying glass right now. And then, you know, some of us are reacting similarly and others are acting so differently. You know, even just the mask to mask or not to mask when you're taking a walk outside. You know, that is the question. It's a new uh, Shakespeare play. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and there can be shame in it. I'm, I'm terribly sorry to hear about your father. Um, yeah, that, m- must that, have been, that's how my work began. Yeah, it must have you been know? horrific because, um, you know, oftentimes the father is, um, yes. you know, they can certainly be. When, you know, when I was growing up, my father was a very strong um, person and um, very secure and very there, very reliable yeah. and, you know, yeah. um, so uh, that's very, very difficult. Um, some people create their own chaos. Accidents happen, as did with your father, but um, yes. some people create chaos in life. Tell me a little bit about those people and how can they actually, um, what can be done or what can they do um, to help prevent creating that chaos? Well, there's a couple um possibilities. One is that they grew up in a chaotic environment, so it's familiar. So if things slow down or it gets easy or calm, they don't know that isn't familiar, you know, family familiar. So that becomes a, you know, chaos creator right there. Um, And the others are um, maybe they need attention. Uh You know, maybe they need attention. So if they have some big drama, that they can go on and on about, then that'll bring them attention. And those two can also be the same person. You know what I mean? Uh But you can have people who maybe didn't have um, all the chaos in their early life, but somehow they need to have the light on them most of the time. And so they create these things. So those are just a couple, you know, for, for a vague throw it out there kind of scenario. Thanks for hanging on the line. Carolyn, I have Taylor from Calgary, Alberta on the line. Good evening, Taylor. Hey. Hey. Hi, Taylor. How are you? Hi. Hi. I'm good. How are you guys? Very well, thank you. How can we help? So, yeah, I guess, sorry. Um, So, I guess I when you were saying that you're, like, people are addicted to chaos and stuff like that. Like I wouldn't necessarily characterize myself as like addicted to it, like need it. But I do feel that whenever there is chaos, it seems like maybe it's something that I can solve or deal with. And maybe when there is no chaos, it feels maybe unsettling. Like, I don't know, like there's just like an unsettling feeling. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question um, or, or thought and um, insight, actually. What do you think, Carolyn, for people, for someone like Taylor? 
some people are hardwired to solve problems and, you know, just make make choices and make things happen. And so if chaos is your specialty, then when it shows up, you know, you've got your adrenaline pumped up and you feel your power and you go solve those problems and everybody claps. And when you don't have a challenge, then you're like, well, what, wait a minute, where's my adrenaline? Where's my claps? You know, <laughs> and you can waver. But it just means you're hardwired for problem solving because that's when your power you know, your power surges really kick in. Does that seem like it fits a little? Yeah. And I guess like my question would be like, what can I do in those moments where I'm like feeling maybe content? Cause I feel like I might, might have a hard time feeling content. I'm either super, super happy or I'm super, super sad. So do you have any advice for like how to just be okay? Yeah, I think we're all trying to find that right now because we are riding this thing called the Corona Coaster. (laughs) So what we have to do is when you are having the happy moments, I think we all have to just go, whoa, yay, I'm feeling hopeful and I'm and I'm not feeling bad. And if you go low on the coaster, you know, and you dip low, you go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to come up a few notches. And what I would do there is just think about other times in your life where you felt a little desperate or useless and how something came along to lift you up, put up lifting thoughts of your past. That's called your mastery of experience into your brain. And that'll bring you up from hitting that low that low point. Taylor, can I ask you a question? Are you talking about at home or are you talking about in the workplace? I would definitely say at home. <laughs> at home. Interesting. Yeah. 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 It's actually surprising. My job has been the one stable thing this year. Everything else has been totally chaotic and out of my control. Yeah. And that's really hard. Yeah. So that's with family dynamics or just everybody being quarantined and in each other's space and face more. Um, actually, I've been in like a long distance relationship and with no jobs in like a lot of industries, like no new movement. So we haven't been able to like actually see any like like change in our industry. So it's been really hard waiting for jobs and we've been apart for now a year. Oh, I see. So you're employed. Yeah. You're employed, but you're. Yeah. Love and my, interest. He, he is as well, but he just. Um, it's been hard to find a job. We're long distance, so it's been hard to find a job here in Calgary. Closer yeah. to you, yes, yes. Yeah. And that's something, you know, that's the you don't have any control over. And that's that's hard, too, because you're exactly. a problem solver. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so well, then you learn patience. That's when you get to learn patience, and that's a lot of character building, too. But definitely oh put gosh. positive thoughts out towards yeah. him, towards you know, that there's an opportunity because we're going back to that, do you shine or whine? And so even when you feel whiny and whiny, find some way to get it to the shiny. Yeah, I'm trying. Well, good luck, Taylor. <laughs> well, you're Maybe. calling. Thank you. You're yes. calling yeah, us. Yeah, thank you guys for thing. answering my call. That's yeah. the first step. You're very welcome. So maybe you should read Rise Above the Chaos, How to Keep Positive in an Unsettled World. Um, 
anyway, that was that was a great call, Taylor. Um, I have to say, uh, Carolyn, I'll give you my own problems. Yeah. You can be my therapist here for a couple of minutes. I don't like right. chaos. <laughs> I, I and yet yet I find myself in chaos quite w- ar- surrounded by chaos quite often. And I mm-hmm. and one of my mantras, and especially in the workplace, and especially in uh, given some work that I'm doing currently, and and I hear myself. My mantra is if you Rudyard Kipling's poem, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too, and if you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies or being hated, don't give way to hating, and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. And, you know, I struggle. I'm somebody who likes to be um, organized and I like to plan and I'm not... uh, you know, somebody who can't change plans or it has to be this way, but it's just that we have a strategy and that we're prepared, but there's so much chaos that happens. And it, and it seems like there's this whole troop of people who like to solve the problems. And then they're like, it's okay. This is how we do it. <laughs> so I'm kind of the opposite. And I'm, I'm a pretty chill person, even though you may not think that, or I don't sound that way on the radio, but totally I'm chill <laughs> and people don't trust like chill. Us, trust us. They don't like super yeah. chill people either. <laughs> so how do we deal with the chaotic people? <laughs> well, what's, what's interesting is that we're all rubbing up against each other right now. So if I, if I call chaos the great teacher, which is the way that I started to embrace it way back at that time of my father's accident, which I also call an in incident because you know these things like even the virus you know we we probably needed this kind of reflection and this kind of reevaluation right now you know there must be some reason for it so if you call chaos the great teacher what you do in the midst of that so this can be those chaotic people around you or somebody who is a chaos creator if you call it the great teacher what you're doing is you're demanding a lesson you're demanding to grow. You're demanding to learn something. You know, if it's the patience and tolerance, like like um, Taylor's call, like she can't solve it right now, so she's got to be able to adapt. You know, mm-hmm. adapt. That I can't. I can't be the problem solver right now. Adapt and move on. So a lot of things that we're struggling with, if it's other people's chaos, we've got to recognize what we're struggling with minimize the amount of energy we're giving away to it if it's draining us Mm -hmm. and then kind of compartmentalize it like okay i'm going to learn a lesson here but until i have the lesson i've got to compartmentalize it and focus on something else because if i keep (laughs) you know replaying it over and over and i can't solve anything i'm wasting where i could be proactive you know you've got to focus on the events you can control so that you're a planner is great because People who focus on the events they can control have less chaos. Well, thank you so much, Carolyn. Love the book, (laughs) Rise Above the Chaos, How to Keep Positive in an Unsettled World. And do you shine or do you whine? I think you shine, Carolyn. I really appreciate your time tonight. All right. And it's available at creativelifesolutions.com. That's my website. And there's also a contact form if your listeners have any questions. Thank you so much. This is is Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. I get lots of questions about flu vaccines and pneumonia vaccines and shingles vaccines. And I have had patients who have suffered with 
all of these issues, and, and myself included, I've had the flu as well, in the worst way possible. I, I don't even think I should tell my story. <laughs> it, was, it was awful. Uh, when I go down, I go down. Um, I am sick big time. So uh, I don't want to get sick big time, especially this year. Uh, on one of the contracts that I'm uh, consulting, I uh, helped to run a few flu clinics. And uh, I, so it, I had the opportunity to speak to, you know, hundreds of, or offer hundreds of people the flu vaccine for free, even though a lot of people in, um, will be covered by medical plans. Um, but this was a convenience for people. And so many people were afraid. Many people said um, they didn't want to get it because their sister had gotten it two years ago when she got sick right after. Probably a coincidence. The flu vaccine is not a live virus. You cannot get sick after it. But that's. Um, but maybe you'll call me and tell me that you did. And you may have. You may have because it could have been coincidental. There could have been something brewing there for you. Uh, but many people at the first clinic, um, there were you know a lot of takers, but there were a lot of people who said, no, didn't want to have it. They didn't like vaccines. They were against vaccination. And I said, you know, it's actually not a bad idea. I didn't want to coerce anybody into getting a flu vaccine. But I said, you know, it's not a bad idea this year because you don't want to get COVID-19 and flu at the same time. You'll, you know, that will be a double whammy and you would be so sick. So uh, some people thought better of it and realized, okay, you're, you, you might be right. I don't want to get this. And it's also the resources uh, that the flu takes from uh, our healthcare authorities and healthcare organizations. So that, that's another reason as well that you might consider um, getting the flu vaccine. But there's been some research out of uh, Florida and um, the Journal of the American Board of Family Medicine that found that people who received the flu vaccine in the year before testing positive for COVID-19 were actually nearly two and a half times less likely to be hospitalized with a severe form of the disease than those who were not vaccinated. Uh, and those who were vaccinated against the flu within a year of being diagnosed with COVID-19 were more than three times less likely to be admitted to an intensive care unit because of the new coronavirus. And this was from researchers at the University of Florida. The flu vaccine, let me make it very clear, does not offer protection against COVID-19. What it does do, or it, what it may do, in fact, because they're not 100% sure of what it does do, but it may help prevent progression to severe disease from the virus by priming the immune system against the invading virus, no matter which one. If you have a question about a flu vaccine or thinking if you should get one, the number to call one 877 um, this actually, uh, it can be a huge incentive for people to get the flu vaccine. And you want to get it early in the season because it takes about six weeks to ramp up to optimize um, against the flu. But getting the flu vaccine is a double win in, in many ways uh, because the vaccination is helping uh, to protect you against the flu. And nobody wants to get the flu uh, because the flu is brutal. If you've ever had the flu, it's absolutely brutal. Every bone, every muscle aches. You can have fever and chills and um, cough and respiratory um, symptoms as well. Um, so COVID is not 
anything like the flu. They are two different viruses and two different medical conditions. And in fact, COVID-19 is more lethal than influenza or the flu. Um, so it's, it's something that you might want to consider. It's not too late, uh, to get a flu vaccine, but I will say that they are on short supply, um, this, this year. And it, and it wasn't easy. In fact, I had ordered them back in August, uh, placed the order and I, I was glad I did because then we had another, um, you know, we had about 125 people sign up for the first out of like four or 500, I think were, uh, working at the time may not have been that much, but anyway, we'd have about 125 sign up and then we had another, uh, clinic and, um, you know, people were signing up and then, uh, so we had, you know, gave two or 300, uh, flu vaccines out. Uh, I'm doing my part. I'm trying anyway. (laughs) But then after that, um, people were, you know, the word was getting out about, you know, that the flu vaccine is not maybe what they thought and that they should get one this year. And and so I was having people coming to me saying, are you going to be holding another flu clinic? We always want what we can't have in life. Um, But there definitely needs to be more investigation to confirm the links between flu vaccination and preventing COVID-19. But the findings may have some important implication for protecting people from a disease that has very few proven uh, treatments. Um, but, but it may help getting the flu vaccine may actually help boost your immune system. A lot of people, you know, take vitamin C to boost their immune system or omega three, and they're going to do all these things, um, to boost their immune system. But, uh, the flu vaccine may actually, or it was shown to boost the body's immune system. And it also demonstrated, the research also demonstrated that uh, components added to the flu vaccine to make it more effective, that are the adjuncts, may actually, may actually bolster the immune response. Um, so, you know, there's, there's hope everywhere. Sometimes you got to look for it, but, uh, but there's certainly hope. I also get lots of questions about pneumonia, the pneumonia vaccine, and should you get that? Pneumococcal disease, or that which causes pneumonia, is very common in young children, but it also older adults are at the greatest risk of uh, serious illness and death from the pneumococcal uh, disease. So there are a couple of vaccines that help prevent pneumococcal disease or, or pneumonia, and they are, uh, we've probably heard of uh, Prevnar 13, um, that is a pneumococcal conjugate vaccine. Vaccine. There's also a pneumococcal polysaccharide vaccine. They're just two different, um, they do kind of the same thing, but they're just created differently. Um, so the CDC recommends the pneumococcal vaccination for all children younger than two years of age and all adults 65 years of age or older. And in certain situations, older children and other adults should also get the pneumococcal vaccine, um, especially people who have chronic conditions. But you need to speak to your doctor or your child's doctor about what is best for your specific situation because your doctor will be able to weigh in on that given your medical history. But as as far as the Prevnar 13 or the PCV 13, the CDC recommends it for all children younger than two years old and people two years or older 
with certain medical conditions. But if you are 65 years or older, you can discuss and decide with your doctor to get the uh, PCV13 or the Prevnar13. The PPSV23, the polysaccharide one, it's for all adults over the age of 65, recommended by the CDC. And people who are between the ages of 2 and 64 who have certain medical conditions. And also it's recommended for adults between the ages of 19 and 64 years who smoke cigarettes. Because of age or other health conditions, some people should not get certain vaccines or should wait before getting them. Uh, For example, children under the age of two years old should not get the PPSV23. In addition, the... um, the, you should also talk to your healthcare provider if you or your child have had a life-threatening allergic reaction or have had a severe uh, allergy. So anyone who has had a life-threatening allergic reaction to any of the following should not get Prevnar 13. Um, and anyone, a shot of this vaccine, an earlier pneumococcal conjugate vaccine called PCV7 or Prevnar. So if you've had a reaction to that or any vaccine containing diphtheria toxoid. Uh, if you've had an allergic to reaction, of course, to PPSV23, you should not get another shot either. Um, if you are not feeling well, even if you have mild illness like a cold, um, you may consider whether or not you should get vaccinated. If it's really, really mild, it might be okay. Uh, but if you have a serious illness, you should not um, get the vaccine until you recover. But again, it's a conversation to have with your doctor. So um, the two types of uh, pneumonia vaccines or pneumococcal vaccines, as I mentioned, Prevnar 13 and Pneumovax uh, 23. Um, and uh, and so there's therefore certain people, which I did review, um, and uh, studies show that getting at least one shot of Prevnar 13 protects at least 8 in 10 babies from serious infections called invasive pneumococcal disease, 3 in 4 adults 65 years or older against invasive pneumococcal disease, and 9 in 20 adults 65 years or older against pneumococcal pneumonia. One shot of the Pneumovax 23 protects between 10 to 17 in 20 healthy adults against invasive pneumococcal disease. You do not want to get pneumonia or pneumococcal disease. Um, it's, uh, it, again, is a debilitating uh, medical condition, high fever, chills, muscle aches, weakness, weight loss, um, respiratory sim- symptoms. So this is definitely something, if you've had pneumonia in the past, you want to talk to your doctor about this. And um, and if you are uh, an older adult, you definitely want to consider this as well. Again, a conversation, perhaps virtually these days, with your doctor. It's time for The Bedroom Bulletin. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. This is the time of night you go to bed with me. That's what you tell me anyway. (laughs) Hopefully I don't put you to sleep much before now. Um, There is a question that I am asked so frequently, but I must say people hold out hope and they either they don't even recognize some of these things or they think it'll go back to the way it was early on or they feel that this subliminally they are in a relationship where they are just comfortable in that type of relationship because maybe they grew up in that type of environment. So the question I often get asked is, what are the red flags I should watch out for in a new relationship? Well, bar none, number one is 
abusive behavior. If you're with somebody who is abusive to you, psychologically or physically, get out, (laughs) run so fast. Unfortunately, denial comes before you run and you think, oh, you know, because oftentimes abusers will lure you in and they'll be incredibly charming. Anyway, if you have a, uh, if you're in a relationship or you've been in an abusive relationship, give me a call. 1-877-399-9898. And if you've managed to get out, you can inspire somebody else to be able to get out of a relationship with somebody who has been abusive. Um, you know, we know, unfortunately, that many people do end up staying with abusive partners and and abusers can be male or female. Um, Oftentimes there's a hope that this person will change, um, but it's very, very difficult. Many people find it extremely hard to leave abusive relationships and they stay in them much longer than they ought to, perhaps, I'm no one to judge, but they may have become very invested in the relationship and may be even dependent on the partner. And uh, and a uh, patient of mine actually spoke recently, or she had a bit of an aha moment um, when she was in an abusive relationship and, um, and, and finally realized that she was actually codependent in the relationship. Uh, and, and unfortunately, what this leads to is a long-term pattern of abuse that increases in severity over time. And so that's why I say that abuse is an unequivocal red flag. And uh, there is somebody better for you. Life is to be enjoyed, not endured. The other um, red flag I would say is if you are with somebody who is controlling or manipulative, uh, maybe they are controlling your finances or controlling your sex life or controlling what friends you can see. Um, these behaviors include things like, um, you know, who you can see, who you can't see, like your family, for example, or they want access to your password so that they can check up on you, or they don't believe you when you say you're at work, for example, when we used to be able to go to work. Um, and so they want to FaceTime you because they will say, prove to me that you're at work. And um, they also try to separate you from your family and friends. They, they won't let you text or call your family and friends. Uh, there has been a link between overly controlling behavior and domestic abuse. And that suggests it could be an early sign of more serious problems down the road. So that's something else. But, you know, that's another thing. People get into your head. And especially because they are initially... Um, they are initially kind and nice and charming and they'll, they bend over backwards for you. And then all of a sudden slowly, so they've already gotten into your head and then slowly, slowly they start being psychologically abusive or they start gaslighting you or crazy making. And, um, you know, they'll say things like, you know, that upsets me when you do that, or, um, they'll make you prove where you are or they, they get upset if you go out with your friends at night or they get upset if you talk to your family um, so that's something that really, uh, I, I had a patient who had actually moved to the big city, um, with her boyfriend. And she said that there were a few red flags before she moved. 
And uh, but then when she got there, he was just overly controlling and emotionally abusive, psychologically abusive. He would cry every day. Um, he would make her prove where she was at times. He didn't want her going out with her friends. He wouldn't let her. He made her stay with him all weekend long. He wouldn't let her out of his sight. Fortunately, she was strong enough, strong-minded enough to actually see it. Not before she didn't break open, though, um, because she realized, like, this is just crazy, and um, and his behavior is bizarre. Um, and so she was able to leave that uh, abusive, manipulative relationship, which, which would become abusive for sure in another way. But that is abuse, that overly controlling and manipulative behavior. Um, also extreme selfishness and narcissism in a relationship. Oftentimes people want to fix others or they want to save people. And so they think they can change somebody and they're going to do everything for somebody. Um, you know, there's a, a, another big key to relationship success is, is a mutual willingness to give and take. And that's both in and out of the bedroom. And so that's why I often say, you may hear me say that, you know, sex is must be consensual and mutual. It's it's for both, actually, both people or all three, however many are there. Um, but partners in particular uh, who are motivated to meet each other's needs, and we call this sexual communal strength or sexual communion, and who take turns doing this tend to be more satisfied with both their sex lives and their relationships. So if you have a little sexual communal strength, I applaud you. Um, if, but you're, if you're in a relationship where it's a one way street, it's all about them. It's time for you to pack your bags, get out of there. Um, if it's all about your partner and never rarely about you, that does not bode well for the future. And of course we're all selfish here, there and everywhere. Every now and again, it's all about me. Um, but, uh, if it's always all about me or all about you, uh, it's never going to actually be a healthy relationship. And people who have narcissistic partners tend to be less happy in their relationships. If somebody makes you feel bad more often than they make you feel good, if they are tearing you down or they're insulting you or they're offending you, um, you know, it's maybe time to go as well. How does your partner make you feel is a very important question. And if you automatically answer happy or good or secure, comfortable, uh, you know, those are good responses. Those are healthy responses. But if you find yourself feeling that your partner makes you feel sad or upset or frightened or fearful or down on yourself or have a bad body image, then that can also be a sign. If you're not feeling good, you know, we life is tough enough without somebody who's trying to bring you down. One of the other relationship uh, flags is, is this communication, which I always talk about and it sounds so lame. Um, but study after study does show that communication is one of the biggest keys to both sexual and relationship satisfaction. And, um, and so, you know, it's important to be able to be intimate that you need to be able to have a conversation with your partner, one that's not going to trigger, uh, your partner or one that's going, you know, to be able to sort of laugh back and forth. Um, to be able to connect and to 
talk and where it's not all about the other person. And maybe, maybe uh, sex is an issue in the relationship. And uh, oftentimes some people who may be in a sexless relationship may actually get angry if they haven't had sex for a while, you know, two days or something, no, um, a week, two, maybe. And they might get angry and then you might, you might want to be wanting to connect emotionally uh, with your wife or with your husband or partner or whatever. And then they just bring it back to, you know, they haven't had sex in a while and it's all about them and you just want to connect with them. Um, so these are issues that, um, you know, can definitely cause problems in the relationship, you know, and another one of the most problematic, um, communication patterns is stonewalling and stonewalling is where one partner shuts down and disengages. And so that is actually a skill that is learned. It's typically comes from the family of origin. Um, and it can be very detrimental and it can be very, uh, harmful psychologically. And, it is something that you can overcome or that your partner can overcome. Um, but it is definitely something, uh, you know, a healthy way. We all have problems. Everybody has issues in the relationship and we need to talk about them and, and discuss them and actually find solutions for them or compromise. Um, but when you stonewall and you completely shut down and disengage, it, it is extremely unhealthy. But communication issues are some of those issues that can actually be resolved. Um, a good therapist can help you. Um, today, of course, it's all virtual, but still doesn't mean you shouldn't go. And, you know, therapy is a gift you give to yourself. And so it's really important that uh, you seek that therapy. Um, and uh, there's no shame in getting therapy either. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.